be like Benjamin uh, Horowitz. Horowitz. And I'm like, when in your life have you seen an O-R without an E after it pronounced whore, you know? So you go to the doctor and he calls you a whore. <laughs> he does. That's not a good sign. He grabs my <laughs> testicles and he calls me a whore, Brad. <laughs> it was a rough time at the docks last time I was there. <laughs> That's supposed to be before you get married, those kind of like worrying doctor's appointments. I th- I, from my impression, they seem to get worse and more invasive, like... <laughs> I was just listening to something about, like, you go in for one thing, and then all of a sudden, he's sticking his fingers up your butt for, like, a prostate exam. I've been there. You've done that already. I'm there. I'm at that age, dude. When does that start? (sighs) Actually, you're about to, dude. 39? You're supposed to get your butt checked? 40, maybe. I feel like the first time I did it, I was, I think I might have been, maybe he was just, you know, maybe I had the wrong doctor. Or what the right I, doctor. What if I tell him I self-exam regularly? I think I, think I was. I think <laughs> I think I was under forty. Okay. Now, <laughs> I don't want to pry too deeply, but when you did this exam, was it the first time that something well, was in there? Well, by a doctor, of course. <laughs> by a doctor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not get to the nineties. Brad just finished telling me. That he used to love opening slots in the 90s because <laughs> he could just finish up, pack up, and get wasted. <laughs> it is true, dude. I wish I could see 90s Brad. Did you have long hair? Only at the very beginning. What were we talking about footwear? I used to wear like engineer boots or uh, oh. Chuck Taylors. Either one. You went for it pretty hard. Leather coat? Uh, I had a leather motor. I had I had bikes, though, dude. Oh, you were still riding? Yeah. Man, oh, you must have been so much fun. That was so cool. You were so fun. <laughs> and now just, now Richard Dreyfus walks in here. <laughs> just another stakeout. Just another fucking day at the office. Hey, Brad. So, uh... Nice to be back here in the saddle. For real, that was a long summer. Yeah. That was like a sweeter summer. That was like <laughs> it a... It took like two solstices. It was like an 18-month summer. Yeah. We should call it some kind of equinox. It's a new one. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. We'll rename it. I've been wanting to get in touch with Neil deGrasse Tyson. He would be fantastic. Oh, what a great interview. What a great human. Did you ever see those pictures of him in like the 80s? No. He's jacked. Really? Yeah, nice looking man. Wow. Yeah, he like. Yeah, he's a real, like, it must have been a real uh, rock and roller of the physics industry. I'll look into it. Because now that we are about to relaunch. Reboot, whatever you want to call it, going off track. Um, We apologize to you loyal, loyal listeners. And there are a bunch of you. um, Yeah, we were going to take the summer off last year. Last year. And we did. And then... And then another year after that. Life caught up to us. It did. Well, how has your life been the last two years, Brown? My life hasn't been that unchanged. It's busy. <laughs> but yeah, so what happened? I don't know. We're going to check in with Jonah later. Because, yeah, Jonah's going to dial in. I mean, the main thing was, you know, we lost our favorite recording space. Pulse was fine for a sure. while, but uh, it just wasn't the same as doing it at Rubber Tracks. And, and then Jonah and, turned into a mountain man. And 300 episodes. I mean, nothing to scoff at. Uh, I yeah. think, what, Taffer was 304. Yeah, we needed a break. That's a lot of episodes. It was okay to take the summer yeah. off. So I think Jonah's just... He's grown a really long beard. I'd imagine he has a really long beard right yeah, I would, now. I would hope so. And just in the last two years, almost in the way like Gandalf went from like gray to white, <laughs> <laughs> I, 
I think Jonah's like, I think he's got different colored eyes now. Like, his clothes changed without changing. All of it. Well, yeah. We uh, should ask him. We should just give we'll him a call. Uh, yeah, I'll just, yeah. Let's call him. Let's call him. Hello? Oh! oh. <laughs> hey, Jonah! Hey, how's it going? It's going okay. I'm sitting here with Benny, dude. Hi, Jonah. Hey, Benny. How are you? I'm good. I love you. I miss you. Yeah. I know. So, you know, we just did an intro for the show that Benny recorded with Laura Jane Grace. And uh, we wish that you were here to help intro it. But um, we were kind of talking about the fact that we haven't been around for a while. Yeah. Where are you? Yeah. We didn't say where you were, though. Yeah, we were very cryptic. Yeah, that's good. We just we just accu- I- we accused you of being a, a mountain man, though. Yeah, I had said that you. I didn't say what you were doing or where you are, but I said you most likely have an extremely long beard, and that I think your eyes have changed color, like Gandalf the Gray to Gandalf <laughs> the White, and you've like achieved like a different level of of existentialism that you haven't prior. How much of that is true? Yeah. All of it. Yes. I knew it. All of it is true. I knew it. I knew it. Um, But seriously, what are you up to? Tell your fans, man. They miss you. Oh, this is being recorded now? Yeah. Dude, you know going off track, we're always recording. Remember that. (laughs) You know the drill. (laughs) Yeah. Um, What's going on with me? Uh, Yeah, I mean, I'm kind of like segueing into like a new aspect of my career kind of like an extension maybe the podcast in some ways i'm in school for clinical mental health counseling so i've just been learning more about interviewing and counseling and i want to work with musicians and creative people you know part of it was kind of inspired in some way by like our scott hutchinson interview like i was you know that was a really one of my favorite podcasts and so it was you know really sad so it got me kind of thinking about you know how i can maybe try to work with musicians or work with people just kind of dealing with those kinds of issues and it's like a long path but um i'm excited for it and uh i'm happy that the podcast is still going on and you know we'll see what my involvement can be but i'd like to pop in once in a while and still you know be involved in some level and i'm I'm happy that benny did this interview with laura i haven't listened to it yet but i'm sure it's great oh that's okay (laughs) <laughs> I don't know. It's, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure it's good. And I was thinking too. You know, like the first live event we did with Benny was with Laura and Dan Ozzy for that that book release. Oh, that's um, right. That uh, sold out um, book with us. Yeah, yeah. That was my first yeah. like being on stage as a host. Remember, I had been a guest. Yeah. For Union right. Hall episode 100. That's when I when I finagled my way into Antarctica Vespucci because I met Jeff Rosenstock that night. That was pretty funny. Oh, that really? That was that's yeah, how that's that how happened? happened. He told me about this band him and Chris Farron are doing. I'm like, who's playing drums on that? I totally eat. I just like nosed my way. in right. there. Yeah. Like for sure. I did not know that. But yeah, I've been working on that. And, you know, I'm still writing. Um, still writing. So like I try to keep, you know, my writing stuff updated. I've been doing a lot of bios. What about music? Like, what about the music? band? Um, what about the band? You got a garage up there in the woods? Uh, no garage, no. <laughs> um, I, yeah, I, I'm still playing, playing. You know, I play around the house. You know, United Nations is always very kind of 
cryptic as well. So yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> That's always, knows? always knows? been part of the vibe, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, but uh, I think it might be time for you to shift into like. I always wonder, like, if I'm getting a massage or something, who's making that like transcendental like meditation music that plays like the whole time what about that jonah i i know i don't i i I wonder who makes that stuff too like i wonder because it can be so repetitive like who is like i nailed this one i know i know who like listens back and is like oh fuck that's good that's good that's the best i've done yeah it's a real i don't know i don't know i don't i don't know where that music comes from honestly i don't know anyone no one has ever really sent me that kind of music i get sent still a lot of music um, you think there's just one but, pan flute guy, like <laughs> the pan flute guy who just makes a fucking killing, you know, they're like, yeah, we need some pan flute. Call Ed. <laughs> he's, he's around. And when he's not in the it, studio, he's just making loops for everybody yeah, else. Yeah. Pan flute guy. That's a fucking wheelhouse right there. <laughs> but Jonah, it's awesome to talk to you for real. And, um, we do miss you re- for real as yeah. well. So, um, yeah. yeah, no, I know. Um, I miss you guys too. And like, um, you know, I've gotten some emails from people asking me about the podcast as well. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to say thanks. Oh, one more thing that just happened kind of related to the podcast. It's cool. Is, uh, Dave Bazan has a new documentary out, uh-huh. um, yeah. called strange negotiations. And the director, Brandon Vetter was with him when they were making it and they filmed it in going off track and where it's, me interviewing Dave for the podcast is in the documentary for like ten seconds or something. Ah, oh, that's awesome! No shit. Yeah, yeah, I'll, yeah. Um, it's like I'm asking him a question, and then it cuts to us like sitting in Studio B. Is that's the doc like, out? Uh, yeah, I think it just came out. I think it just came out. Is Very that cool. Netflix or something? I think it's available on iTunes. Um, it's really cool. It's shot really well. It's really, and th- I was part of the Kickstarter for it. So I've been getting updates on it a lot. And uh, they've, they've been working on it basically like for, I don't know, at least like three years, I think. Um, but there's like a little scene of the now defunct rubber track studios in the documentary. Pour one out. Pour one out. RT. Yeah. Pour one out. But yeah, but yeah, I mean, thanks to everyone that's emailed and, um, yeah, I mean, I just, you know, like I still keep in touch with everyone. I just saw Steven, uh, so yeah, hopefully you know, you know, you guys can keep it going, and you know, we can be, you know, we can also be involved, and um, yeah. yeah, I think it's, I think it's great. Cool, dude. Awesome. It's great to hear from you. We'll be, we'll be in touch. Thanks, John. Okay. Be good, good, bud. We love yeah, you. Thought, all right. All right. I'll talk to you soon. Bye. Oh, I love Jonah <sighs> so much. It's just like talking to him just soothes. He's always been the most soothing guy. He, he's definitely picked. He's definitely picked a good career other than podcasting. Yeah. He's going to help people out. He's one of those listening. people that I've, I've like sat down to like eat with and stuff. And within like 15 minutes, I'm just telling him shit. Right. That like, I'm like, what? What the fuck? I don't like, well, I'm not supposed to be telling you this. Well, some people he, listen, man. And he, and he's very, he's a non judgmental right. person. Like, you know, like when you're saying that, that he's processing it in a, in not like a where to put you kind of way, but like he's yeah he's he's focusing on the right things when he's talking to you. Well, I'm glad he's still involved, and I'm glad he gave us his jobless, <laughs> and that we're allowed to keep doing this, you know, because it's fun. 
millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. So this interview, Brad. Yeah, Laura. So the little backstory on this is is my band Mercy Union did a six-week U.S. tour opening up for Laura Jane Grace, her main support, second of three. Uh, really cool tour. It started... In mid-March in Houston, um, which meant, you know, a 24-hour drive to uh, start the tour. But you know what I did? I pulled the, hey, I have kids. I'm going to fly out and meet you guys there. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, oh, sorry. Extra day with the fam. Flight to Houston doesn't really cost that much. It's it's one of the cheaper places to fly into. Yeah, it's decent. doesn't hurt. Um, And did that, and we started the tour here. It ended up being a burner, man. Six weeks around the U.S., uh, van tour, like I said, we were second of three, which means you load in early, right. you sound check early, then you have to take your shit off stage and put it somewhere yeah, weird. That's definitely the worst, the worst slot. slot. And the band you're hearing while I'm interviewing Laura is the band Control Top, who was the opening band, who not only got to open... They also used my drums. So it was like, uh, I mean... So a, we don't have to get a, a, a sync fee to play their music. What a the coast. <laughs> I gave Alex, the drummer, I gave, I gave a lot of shit through the tour. <laughs> I was definitely a lot of razzing. But good people. They were fun to be on tour with. And uh, so I had delayed doing this interview almost like the whole tour because... I was like, I don't want to be the jag like the first week of this tour. Just be like, hey, Laura, could get right. an interview? Like, yeah. I just wanted it to be cool. But then like... There was, like, no time the towards the ticking. end, and the clock was ticking, and I'm like, oh, great, last day of tour, so now we have to do it. Is this really last this day? This is the last, so I had six weeks to conduct this interview, and I did it. And what, what town is it? This is in Nashville. Right. Um, I believe Basement East is in West Nashville, which is, like, it's like the Brooklyn of Nashville. Yeah, yeah. Just, it doesn't look like Brooklyn, no. but, you know, it's where young liberal hipsters go in right. Nashville to to stake their land and claim and yeah. eat overpriced pizza and stuff. Um, <laughs> and the bird, the local birds, you can hear through the whole thing. I know, which is great. I would love uh, uh, if any ornithologists possibly listen to going <laughs> oh, nice. off track. ID the birds. <laughs> yeah, like Bonus maybe, points, yeah, man. We'll give you a free, I don't know, what can we offer? Something. We'll give him maybe that beanie that you're wearing. Okay. <laughs> You don't want that stinky, stinky (laughs) stuff under here, my friend. Uh, But yeah, so it was a lot of fun. I've known Laura a long time. I mean, um, actually, Against Me was was one of the first bands who gave Gaslight a real tour. So so we supported Against Me when they released New Wave on on a national tour that ended up being 
a really good thing for us, you know, and something that really boosted us. And then once Gaslight got bigger, we had brought Against Me on tour. Um, and then, you know, things unfold. And then Laura has a solo project and still brings my band on tour. So it's, it's really cool. Well, cool. Let's check it out, man. <laughs> the first going off track in like 18 months. Get right to it. Let's listen to Laura. It's going on Do you have a cassette player? I do. I actually have a really extensive cassette collection, too. You still keep them? Mm-hmm. You know, did you ever put them somewhere, or do you always have them around? Um, I used to have one of those, like, or a couple of those, like, wooden racks or yeah, whatever yeah. that you could hang on a wall, and I would do that. But I just have a drawer, like, in my, my office studio room that's full of cassettes. Yeah, and yeah. I, like, have been in the habit for the past couple of years of making mixtapes, too. Since Fuck I, yeah. Since I have, like, a double cassette deck, you know? And um, just, like, making mixtapes to give his friend to friends. And then I did, for when, when our record came out in November... I made five mixtapes, and on each one, I put an unreleased recording that was just, like, me on my little, like, shitty boombox oh, doing cool. a demo of a song or a cover, and I hid it in the track listing on each yeah. mixtape, and then went to my re- local record store in Chicago and was like, hey, can you just give these to the next five people that come in and buy the record? And then I tweeted that, and then five people came in and bought the record and got free tapes. That's so, awesome. Yeah. Wow. What a special thing for people. I'm sure that those five people didn't have cassette decks themselves. They were just, like, stoked to get the tapes. <laughs> What's, like, like when you decide to do that? Like, you are... Is that just, like, fuck it, I have this stuff, it's for fun? Or are you, like, really trying to, like, reach out to your people, like, make sure you're, like, available like that? For fun? Like, for fun, totally. And because it was, like, went with, like what was going on with the record and how it came about like I got I'd, I'd held on to the stupid cassette tape collection for years yeah. and then when we were making the last Against Me record I was kind of like half living at Mark's studio and I that was when I finally got a new cassette deck and there was like lots of down moments where you know Ian Gay was working on a bass track or that there was some editing happening yeah, or whatever yeah, yeah. and I just started making mixtapes again and just like as a productive way to kill time and I, I don't know, like, it's it's like a conflicted feeling with the format, because on the one hand, like, I really don't like nostalgia for formats, like, even Record Store Day kind of bugs me, like, yeah. and the idea of a cassette tape day is just like, you know, it's, if it's gonna die, just let it die, you know? Is that happening now, cassette tape Yeah, day? they do cassette tape oh. day. But, but when I think back to it, it's like legitimately how Against Me started was cassette tapes and like four track recordings, dubbing my own copies and giving them out. Yeah, and yeah, like yeah. that's just where the band came from. And I just have like a attachment to it because of that. Yeah. How could you not have an attachment with tapes that people our age, you know, mm-hmm. like records existed when we were born. They were already a thing. And what, CDs weren't a thing yet. Right. I didn't get my first CD till I was like 12. Sure. Like that. All my first music was on tape. Yeah, making mixes. Do you remember? I used to name all my mixes, like all <laughs> sorts of weird shit. I remember I had, I had anytime I was listening to like Rev Record stuff, like Sense Field or like Far Side, I would always call it like Easy Listening because that was my Easy Listening at the time. I think I had one called Nocturnal Emissions, just because I probably just learned what it meant and thought it was funny. 
Yeah. We, did you, did I, you name them? Totally. Yeah. It, it was like, you know, I, I, I still have like a collection too of mixtapes that were made for me from friends. And there's yeah. like, you know, there's early Against Me Tours one. I have one that's like, I survived this tour and all I got was this lousy mixtape or like, <laughs> you know, cool. like spring mix, blah, 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 and blah, blah, you know, like oftentimes they were like whatever re- lyrical reference from a song that would be on there or some shit like that. But So I was going to ask you, I was thinking about how you have like a whole bunch of songs about escaping Florida, or at least more than one. A lot of songs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. And now uh, there's a deep hatred for Chicago in a lot of ways, enough to pen a song, <laughs> at least like get behind something enough that like, you printed it on a fucking shirt like <laughs> like if anybody else hates Chicago you know and also you're I don't know if, have sports fans picked up on that <laughs> like Detroit Red Wings fans and like people like that like there was people saying you know, when we were about to go to Milwaukee and um and Madison, people were like, oh, that, that shirt or that mug will do well in, yeah. in Wisconsin. But I, I forgot to ask Daniel if there was, like, that a spike did. in sales or whatever. But, the, you know, like, honestly, like, that song is, like, it's, like, half in jest. Where if, if like, you're telling me that you think it's funny and it's, like, and you get the joke, then I'll admit to you, like, I don't really hate Chicago. <laughs> right. But if you're saying, like, if you have a problem with that, I, yeah. then I will stand by hating Chicago yeah. and I will, like fight for that if feeling, someone gets you know? like puffy chested with you about it yeah then it's like, like well fuck you fuck chicago then like it's just a city and like what also you, you know it's like one of those things that you could break down further of like what are you talking about like are you defending the city of chicago right. like the city government of right. chicago or are you ex- like because otherwise it's just like sports teams yeah, like, yeah yeah what yeah. is it that you're actually protecting because obviously i don't hate a group of people based on their yeah. geographical location sure. or anything like that you know like that's just dumb and i you know and when when it comes down to it existentially like borders are illusions the city is an illusion other yeah. than like you yeah. know the government that's set up there sure you know i heard that chicago is called the windy city because of its old blustery politicians who lied and fucked around all the time i is believe that that's true yeah. i do believe that's true yeah i actually like last year when i was feeling the way i was feeling when i wrote that song I was like, I'm going to make a committed to effort to really invest myself in learning about the city. Yeah. And, like, I read, like, The Devil in the White City. I went and did all the, like, tours of the Haymarket, like, where Haymarket Riot took place, went up in the Sears Tower, Hancock Building, whatever, um, and just, like, learned a lot about Chicago, or tried to, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. The reason I brought it up was the thing I was thinking about is because we've talked a little on this tour about me hating where I live, too, and Mm -hmm. just the nuisance of, like, living in a city in general and this. But then I was thinking, I'm like, oh, wait, Laura has a lot of songs hate about Florida. Anywhere (laughs) I used to live, I just talk shit about anyway. And I'm like, is it, maybe it's us. It's like, it's like that, you know how you have, like, a... A roommate who's like always complaining about people being filthy or something, and it's just them. Yeah, totally. Or like, or like, or like that person who, who moves to like four different houses in a year and complains about shitty roommates. Like, but, so you're the shitty roommate if that's the fact. <laughs> so basically, I'm saying, are, could you put semi poisonous people like us anywhere and we'll just find all the things to hate? I think so. I I mean, I think that that's, like, completely valid. And also, like, I definitely recognize that, like, when I leave someplace, I miss it then. 
and I really like see the good in it and I'm like damn I really wish I would have appreciated those things about Florida when I lived in Florida but I hated Florida when I lived there and now that I'm out of there I hate where I've moved to and I wish I could go back out of Florida and I'm sure when I move out of Chicago I'll be like you know what I really miss some things about Chicago you know those Bulls jerseys are cool I will say I have always wanted to rock a Bulls jersey specifically because in the rancid salvation video at the open scene there's that punk wearing the, the Bulls jersey and like I remember seeing that when I was 13 years old being like damn that's a badass look tight. like you got the charged out hair yeah. and the piercings and tattoos and you're wearing a Bulls jersey or a starter jacket something like that could be tight <laughs> I don't know I'd rock one but yeah I don't know I wonder about that stuff like just the idea that like how do you then like on that logic if you could place people like us anywhere and you start to get upset anywhere then what's like is it are we like too old to change it's punk rock though that's what like a lot of it is attributed to punk rock where like punk rock teaches you to figure out what you don't like about something you know you you question it and you're like this is what like defining yourself as a punk is defining what you're against I am against war. I'm against repression. I'm against poverty. Uh Rarely being punk is it about, like, these are the things I'm really passionate and for and want to, like, you know, like, bringing out the positive in something. And so, I mean, fuck, I'm 38. I've been into punk since I was, like, 12. You know, like... Same. I don't think that it's possible to change necessarily this yeah. way. And I don't also don't think it's a bad thing also, you know. It's just when, again, when people have a problem with it, it's like, why are you so fucking defensive? You didn't build the fucking city. <laughs> right. You know? right, like, right. Like, why do you have to be so madly in love with, like, the place you're at? Yeah, and if something, like, it's the same with a flag. Like, a flag means nothing if you can't burn it, you know? Right. Like, if it's, if you're upset about the idea of burning an American flag, then it makes me want to burn an American flag that much more, you know? Sure. Whereas, otherwise, if you have no problem with it, I have no desire to burn an American flag, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. That's one of the things, like, I wonder, I mean, just with a lot of what's going on lately, like, for instance, for me, like... I barely even considered myself even remotely Jewish until, like, Trump got elected and all this crazy shit started happening. Right. And, like, I said a couple things online and got, like, straight, like, troll Nazi attacked. Like, one of those things where, like, 20 people send you, like, hook nose photos and shit like that, like, all at once. And maybe it's, like, the punk rock side of me. It's not, like, I want to move. I don't want to do this. It's, like, I want to, like, get a gun and be ready to, like kill people who go anywhere near me who want to hurt me, you know? Um, And I would have, I seriously never even remotely thought that way until, like, someone made this, like, concerted effort to, like, make me feel that way. I think that's the obvious danger of social media and, like, the danger of, of, like, of Trump doing, you know, posting the hate that, that Trump posts, yeah, you know, yeah. and talking the way that they post is that, that it does make targets out of people and that it does create that defensiveness and an exactly. offensiveness too. And, you know, like I, I feel terrible about it and I, I feel really like guilty and, and complicit in it in that I participate in social media and I don't see it as a long-term like sustainability thing, you know, like I don't think it's very punk, you know, but it's like a part of what we do as musicians yeah. with promoting yeah, your yeah. art and everything uh-huh. like that and it's terrifying and thinking about it as like 
well, those older media outlets and print and all those, the way that punks used to organize themselves are going to disappear and everyone is going to be solely reliable on social media and that will be controlled, you know, like, and that, that that's, you know, so easily manipulated with trolls and bots and stuff like that. And that, I don't know. I, yeah. I, and even the information that you're being fed on your own feed being tailored to specifically what you already think. Sure. And only things that interest you. Like, like they really, they literally know how to make like, like hamsters, like, like pegging for like pellets and water out of us like, <laughs> they're so much smarter than us yeah yeah i walking into the venue yesterday there was the two security guards at the back door and it's like walking past them they didn't even look up from their phones yeah, you know yeah, it's yeah. like are you paying attention here like no. did anyone stroll in here right now and you know i hate to be like that person's like back in the day blah 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 but you think about it like was well, like, what the fuck did security guards do sitting outside of a venue back in the day? You yeah. didn't just stare at your phone. Like, no. it, there, there had to be a different mentality going on, you know? They couldn't wait to talk to you back <laughs> yeah. in the day. I had so many weird conversations <laughs> with fucking security guards. They're just waiting for someone to walk by, right? How many good stories? Yeah. I always say the best, if you want to hear the best, like, tall tales on earth, sit in a bus driver's circle in a festival in Europe. <laughs> And just listen. Yeah. Just listen to those elaborated nuggets from, like, around the world. Well, you don't have any choice but to listen either because bus drivers will never stop talking yeah. and will not let you get an urgent yeah. word in edgewise. You know? Or if you say something, you just start you ripped to shreds <laughs> in, like, some northern English. Like, like I, I remember talking about this recently with, with our mutual friend, Chris Farron. Praise him. Uh, yes, his great, birthday, birthday soon, right? I think, like, <laughs> tomorrow, based on the countdown. <laughs> Speaking of social media, the king of social media. Um, and, you know, Chris obviously, like, sort of uh, just doesn't partake in, like, political stuff. And I talked to him about that, and, you know, he believes the idea that for someone like him, like, his greatest way to even keep contributing in a good way and make things move forward in a good way is like continue to like really work at what he does and what he knows how to do and continue like crafting songs in a certain way and that's the best way for him to fight it and I think it, that's completely valid and I think it's really like it's important to recognize there too the element of subversion within that of like right. when you see what the crowd or the mob is doing do the opposite so if everyone is talking about politics and everyone is yeah. treating the same shit, do the fucking opposite. Exactly. And that's going to be way more powerful than, than just yeah. following the herd, even right. if, like, what the herd is saying is completely valid, you know? Like, it's just, it's more effective, you know? But is there, like, any sensibility to the idea that, like, say if the shit was and still maybe is going to really go down, you know what I mean? Like, in this country, like... You know, I have a sort of morbid sensibility that it's going to get far worse before it gets better. I agree. And, like, where where we no longer have the ability to step back and just create if we want to. Right. Like, there is, like, there is an element of, like, space and freedom. I hate to, I hate to use that word, but even just, like, a personal freedom to be able to have that, like, time and resources to just do that. Right. Like, that's happened to a lot of people. Like, talk to maybe 
every musician who lived in certain countries in the Middle East during like the Arab Spring, mm-hmm. who used to have musical equipment or practice space, used to get together with people like every Thursday and play music, you know what I mean? Stuff like that. And it got taken away from them. Right. You know, they didn't have a choice. Right. But there will never be a point in history where people are looking back on now and and saying, damn it, if only Chris Barron would have treated treated something anti-Trump, things wouldn't have gone the way they went. You yeah, know, like, yeah, yeah. that's not the deciding factor. Right, right, right. <laughs> um, and I do think that, like, you know, I, I, I think I've thought a lot about it on this tour of, like, what's the what's the most effective way to fight back about yeah. the, against that fear and everything? And I really do believe it's be the best version of yourself that you can. And I think about it on levels of, like, you know, yeah, it means eating a vegan diet, you know, and and that's something that I need to work on. Or yeah, it means like, you know, don't be a fucking wasted asshole, you know, like, and, and like work on your craft, you know, work on what you're doing and do it to the best of your abilities. Because otherwise I just think you're like falling into the cesspool of the shit and, and they're getting the best of you in that way. Sure, 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 sure. The older I get, I see a lot more, uh, value as like a punk and an independent person in being healthy. Oh yeah! Like just keep me the fuck out of a hospital. Keep an insurance company off my fucking name. Just anyway. Sure. You know what I mean? I don't even want to like. I want to live healthy until I'm 75 and drop dead chopping down a fucking tree in my yard. But that's like, totally part of of like healthcare reform and like reimagining the healthcare system system where like completely one half of it is like I believe that healthcare is a universal right and I think that there should be universal healthcare in the states but also the focus shouldn't be on like fixing the problem it should also be on preventative on eating healthy right. living healthy you know like but that's not part of the, the the cycle I'm talking about like doing that throws a wrench in that cycle right right because you're not buying that food and then you're not committing to those medicines, you're not committing to those doctors, you're not committing all your prepaid private insurance money coming from somewhere right. to somebody that's wildly overpriced so they can all like, keep lining their pockets. Like, you know, I talk about it on the podcast, so I don't care bringing it up, but within a year, like, um, going through a shitty situation with watching my mom pass away and, like, what happens <laughs> surrounding that. And then having a massively premature son, like, three months early and deal... Like, basically unwillingly having to deal with two super major hospital situations that both fell on my shoulders primarily, you know? Right. And it's beyond uh, my skill set, almost, you know what I mean? It's too much for me. Sure. Like, it's too much for me to do that and then do everything else, like, life demands. Like, I don't have time for it, and I don't have... The mental space to even deal with it sure or, or add on top of that too like within the course of this tour having i had two friends pass away and had to see both of those friends uh, have their friends and family post GoFundMes to right. co- cover to their funeral fucking yeah. expenses you know and yeah. it's like that is just disgusting yeah, to me crazy. like as an indicator of where we are as like a society you know like is just abysmal yeah and with how much money there is for it mm-hmm. yeah millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom like Evan who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds 
Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. So, so you can give me advice, like, so that synagogue shooting in San Diego happened, like, this morning, I think. A few people were killed, like, during a Passover ceremony. Right. I, like, feel the need to, like, say something because I'm, like, Jewish and people just know I am. And I feel like maybe I could give a certain point of perspective that, like, some people don't have. But I don't have anything, like, positive to say. If I don't want to say anything, like, what can I do with that energy? I What was the quote? I was reading... Um uh, this book called Self-Portrait, which is the biography of, uh, of, of the artist Man Ray, a photographer, painter. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was a quote that I read this morning that was something like, uh, practice the power of inactivity, um, that I thought had a lot of validity to it. And it's something that I think about a lot in general in reference to social media when terrible things happen of just like my tendency then is to black out is to not post anything and to just take a rest from social media and to like I don't want to be all one of those people like who you know you have to say something anything you know yeah. like for your image or whatever you right. have to comment on yeah, every yeah, yeah. terrible thing happens because otherwise it means you don't care or something <laughs> right. like that which is just ridiculous yeah that's what it feels like now like everybody like yeah when something like that happens and you see all the just homogenized like you know quotes from politician a politician b because their press team told them they had to say something right and if they didn't say something they'd be criticized for not saying anything right and it's just dishonest posting something then you know and obviously talking about it too it's like if there's no power in it and if it doesn't change anything then you're just channeling your anger you're channeling your the way you're feeling into something that's ineffective and what's that really going to do right you know it makes you more angry yeah even if you think on the surface you did something subconsciously you got to know you didn't really do anything and it didn't really change anything you know Yeah, yeah yeah And, like, I don't know. I I feel like with social media jumping around, too, like, that oftentimes, anytime I've expressed anger on there, it has been effective in the worst ways, you know, in receiving responses from from trolls or from people like in wanting to argue or like come at you or attack you where that does like energize those people and it creates a like a hatred and it fuels that whereas if you're posting positive things like that more falls on deaf ears and doesn't do anything like thinking back to uh a year or two ago when Kathy, Kathy Griffin, Kathy Griffith, Griffith, uh, yeah. posted that photo the of her, yeah, the decapitated yeah. Donald Trump head. Like I reacted with, a bu- interacted with a bunch of people online who were yeah. coming at me because I defended her. Right, let me remember that. Yeah. And I was just being like, yeah, fuck you, fuck you too, fuck you, yeah. you know, like, yeah. and those people I realized were like, after a while I started getting scared in a way of like, yeah. what if these people decide to come at me, you know, yeah. like come to a show and attack somebody yeah, or, or yeah, anything yeah. like that, which I see as a far more like scenario than than uh me tweeting something positive right. and like somebody being like i'm gonna go out and help somebody and change sure. the world yeah, you know yeah. like no, that's way true. less likely to happen you know yo you gotta know i was ready going into this tour i thought Son about is it terrible i was like there's a chance somebody is gonna come to these shows fucking illin 
and I was ready. I want you to know, I was down. <laughs> we talked about it even as a band. We're like, yo, some fucking asshole might come to these shows. We're like, yo, we got it. <laughs> we're like, we're a support band. That's what we do. That's what we do on this tour. I appreciate it. Yeah. I think, you know, I think about that a lot, and it terrifies me, you know? Like, do you, do you um, like, have Jake or anybody say anything specific to security about, like, things to look out for and with against me we're like really um we're pretty strict about it and we'll do security meetings and like you know pretty instructive with everything but you know oftentimes you're at the mercy of the venue as to what their procedures are and any everything like that yeah. you know and like really unless it's a venue that's like doing wand downs and stuff like that like what can you do you know um it's what is what a shitty reality you ever think like have you ever thought about doing stuff to like to like have more security for yourself or you think that's just like a bad way to live I I feel like whenever because I know you can fight a little bit <laughs> so <laughs> whenever I feel unsafe I feel like stupid for relying on other people to have my back in yeah, those yeah, situations yeah. Uh-huh. and anytime in situations like like the other night um in Asheville when at the end of the set I came up to check the stage and there was like a line of people that were stretching in between the front room into the back room there was like the doorway or whatever and like I got stopped and you know started talking to people taking pictures signing stuff for them or whatever and one of the people working at the venue came up to me and was like hey we can't have people blocking this doorway got to get people to move blah blah blah." and i was like well i didn't tell people to line up here i'm trying to get them to move by you know doing what they want me to do and they'll go on your job here right and he then immediately was just like hey everybody move you know and like got everybody to move and then the way we moved it in instead of it being a line it was a circle of people around me on all sides and then i'm in a situation where like i don't know who's behind me i don't know what's happening and i'm like trying to do the same thing take pictures or whatever and those are the situations where you know even on the small level i'm like fuck make sure my cell phone's still in my back pocket you know like or whatever just like i don't know what's gonna happen and there's been you know there's been many times after shows same thing like just walking out to the bus or whatever where like I'll recognize, like, this is just not a good situation for me to sure. be in, but yeah. I want to be polite, and I want to, like, I don't want to bum out a fan or anything like yeah, that, yeah. so I'm going to still be here. But, uh, you know, like, sometimes then the alternative to that is, like, what, do I want to have the security guard from the club walk me out, and then the security guard's going to fucking misgender me the whole way to the fucking bus, and it's going to be a right, thing, right, and right. it's going to, it's just going to suck. I'd rather yeah, just, yeah, like, yeah. take the risk, you know, like, yeah. and, and that's, like, you know, the way I feel most of the time about it. It sounds like kind of like a weird, lonely place to be in. Like, <laughs> yeah, 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 sure. It sucks. Do you feel like it's almost like how people think they, like, know you? without knowing you like is it almost like too familiar just because someone who's been an against me fan for a long time has just seen a million interviews and well, kind of knows your take on a fuck, lot of stuff. I have a book out like right. people do know yeah, me in yeah. a really intimate That's way true. you yeah. know like yeah. that that um and surprisingly that I don't know there hasn't been many instances with that actually making me uncomfortable okay. you know like specifically I think more oftentimes it's like there's a detachment that's almost like a glaze with people where like we did this thing in Chicago after after a show we played there where we were supposed to like DJ at an after party or whatever. 
And we went to the place where we were supposed to DJ. And the DJ booth is in the very back of this bar. The bar is full of people. We walk into the club and like all of a sudden I'm doing this thing, which is really not me, where I'm like walking down an aisle of people shaking hands as I'm going. And it's like, this sucks, you know, and like get back to the DJ booth and like Inge jumped behind the the turntables or whatever and started playing songs. So then I'm just standing there. And, like, people come up and try to talk to you, and it's like, I'm deaf. If there's other fucking music playing, I can't hear what you're saying, no matter how close you are to me. So, like, I started having a panic attack, and I went outside of the bar and, like, went and, like, just stood, like, like, half a block down. And then as I was standing there, I noticed, like, a couple people come out of the club, and they start walking down towards me. And, like, you know, they're looking like they're lighting up cigarettes or whatever, but I could tell they wanted to talk or whatever. And they got towards me, and I was like, hey, y'all, like, I'm having a panic attack right now. I just, like, need two seconds if I could just, like, just breathe for a second. And it was, like, literally totally after I finished saying request. that. Yeah, yeah, literally after I finished saying that, they're like, so can I get a picture real oh, quick no. or can I get a selfie? <laughs> and I was like, I, I got to go, you know, and, like, went down to the other side of the block and, like, continued having my panic attack. And then people came down that way after like i totally verbalized like i'm having a panic attack can you just leave me alone for a second and i had to like literally run and and catch a cab and just bolt and get the fuck out of there because i couldn't handle it and no matter what i was saying to people that's like they weren't listening to me even though i was completely verbalizing the way i felt and the what i wanted you know um sort of like kind of inhuman almost just like, and it again it's like a glaze you know it's like yeah. the and i get it where like thinking about it afterwards it's like they're in their head they have what they're going on it like they're what what they're gonna say is right there in the front of their mind but it's hard it's, so they're not listening to what you're saying because it's yeah. their moment or whatever but i don't know and then more often than not they're gonna come up to you and say like oh your music saved my life like something like really awesome Right. That like means a lot. And I appreciate it. No, that, no, I you know. know, like but that's what's crazy about it is like is like it's this insanely cathartic experience for them. But how are you supposed to like share that experience like uniquely like well, with that, every that's single the thing. person? That's that's that, like that's an impossible thing to ask. Yeah, that yeah, you can't person. do it genuinely yeah, too. Exactly. And if you yeah. genuinely appreciate it, I genuinely appreciate it. There's no way in this situation I can genuinely show it to you yeah. just because that's not in my constitution as a person. Exactly. That's like opening presents in front of people makes me really uncomfortable. Right. I don't like to open a present yeah, because yeah. I can't show that I appreciate it. Right. You know, even I, if I do genuinely appreciate it sure but there's you know like one more thing that that made me think of too with like safety stuff is like on this tour you know we had someone in our crew go home early because of a medical issue um which meant that there was an odd number of us so three hotel rooms everyone Uh, in the band was like you go ahead and you take the solo room which on the one hand i was like very appreciative of but then there's those moments where I'm like, I kind of feel a little freaked out <laughs> alone in right. this hotel yeah, right yeah. now, you know, like, yeah. um, it's late at night and I'm, I'm by myself, you yeah. know, like, and there's like, you know, you're stuck in this rock and a hard, between a rock and a hard place yeah. where it's like, if I say something, everyone's going to think I'm an asshole because I'm the one who got my own hotel room. <laughs> right. But in truth, I feel a little freaked out. Yeah. And also like I live alone and I kind of actually like the company yeah, and want to yeah. share a room with somebody because I'll have someone to talk yeah. to. You as know? much as the space is nice, the Hampton Inn in Iowa isn't really, isn't really bringing the best out of me right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you're a uniquely gifted songwriter and especially someone who started coming up as early as you did it usually doesn't come from a place of like 
social joy you know what I mean like sure. grace it comes from like angst it comes from from uh, isolation it comes from like the rock and roll people love the most comes from the darkest places of like a human 100% and like but then they expect you know uh, a diplomat the odd balance that social anxiety is a consistent thing with a lot of people who write songs right you know and then like and then you're literally forced to like be that person and sometimes create some some version of yourself to even be able to deal with it and then that version becomes whatever it is like it's a it's a strange thing or the flip of that too coming from like a unique to the if you're the singer and you have to speak on stage it's like that was like the hardest part of playing shows for me it was like okay i gotta start talking in between songs and like you know then you like it's hard to like okay i should be a little funny you know i gotta come up with stuff to say and so like you become this person who does this thing on stage and you have this persona on stage or whatever and then like the thing to switch that off to look for things to say or to be sharp and quick-witted or whatever like you'll find yourself then in the van with the rest of your band it's like that doesn't doesn't turn off and then you're like oh i'm being fucking obnoxious (laughs) you know and this isn't even who i am it's just like a thing that i've developed because i gotta be on stage you know like fucking now everyone's annoyed with me and like you know i don't want to be like this sure (laughs) i was wondering you know you're often talked about as a songwriter but you're a guitar player Mm -hmm. um like how often do you like pick up the guitar and just play i play every day like constantly every day like like are you getting up and trying to write or are you just like actually practicing like when i'm home um like my routine is wake up in the morning get my daughter ready for school take her to school then i go to my studio and i have a playlist on my phone that I actually I'll play bass for like a good hour or so first and I have a bass warm up playlist and I'll just play along to the songs on my bass warm up playlist and I'll I'll play through the those I'll do my vocal warm ups and then I'll play through like I didn't until like the last five six years actually get really into like learning other people's songs before it was always like just keep practicing your own shit and that got really old but then I'll like whatever like I have a notebook folder full of songs that are cover songs that I'm like working on and I'll just play through those either by myself or again along to the recordings and I'll just do that and then after that I'll move on to like okay now I need to do a little bit of writing and see if I I feel creative or whatever I like I I wrote a song on the last Weezer record and after that I started really looking into like how Rivers works and I listened to his song Exploder podcast which was really fascinating. What's and it called? Song Exploder. They like will take a song, break down the song, talk about how cool. it was written. Um, and he has like a very cerebral way of looking at songwriting. Right? It's very just like Excel sheets, yeah, like yeah. you know cadences, uh, this many consonants in right. a line, you know, right. like. And you know, there's probably a younger version of me that would have been like, "That's bullshit." But like older version of me is like, "That's really smart," you know, like, yeah. and that's yeah. like, that's what you have to have for the commitment to your craft, you know, or whatever. Sure. Um, but there's a there was a book that he recommended called The Artist's Way, and I read that, and it's like a course. It's supposed to be like I think it's like three weeks long or whatever, and each each week it tells you to do a new thing in order to just like open up your creative pathways and like. This whole tour, I've done the one thing, which is your morning pages. I wake up, I write three pages in my journal, 
no matter what yeah. even if I have nothing to say I just fill up three pages and I try to be the same way with like with guitar of just like you know focus on it find a thing that you can do every day even if it's completely mechanical and sure. robotic yeah, yeah. just to keep the muscles going and like to stay in the practice so you yeah so I basically I, I keep talking about the like Vonnegut used to talk about the people who are just like Disciplined people and then creative people. You seem to definitely be on the disciplined side because that's a lot of work. <laughs> that's good though. I love hearing that shit because to me, to me, like you need like the tools in the toolbox. You know, like how are you supposed to when you have a great idea and you have that? One of my favorite things about playing music and playing the drums for so long now is the idea that like something can pop into my head at thin air and I can do it more often than not. Right. Like, I can make my hands do the idea. And that only comes from practice. Right. Like there's no other way to achieve that. Like, it's not just going to, like, pop to you. I can or, still see the areas, too, as a guitar player where I'm weak, you know? What are what are some songs? What are, like, a couple nuggets on the bass warm-up? Um, I, uh, I'll tell you. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm curious what's got killer bass lines to warm up to. I always, I always start with The Cure's Close to Me. Okay, perfect. Um just it's like it's a great song gets you in a good mood sure um i've got close to me followed by white wedding (laughs) followed by hitsville uk the clash song pop crimes rolling us howard real good finger warm-up why can't i touch it by the buzzcocks dumb things by paul kelly um uh tuesday morning by the pogues and hyena by rancid wow (laughs) that's my eight song bass warm-up so hyena like (laughs) Now you're warmed up and you're ready for rancid <laughs> yeah. by the end. Yeah. Well, it's also like uh, I, I that that was on there uh, within the last couple months before this tour because when I was that's how I started out. I started out on bass playing in punk bands, yeah, yeah. and when I was 13 years old, Matt Arms or Matt Freeman was like my bass god, and I used to be able to play all those rancid songs. And so knowing like, all right, do I have those chops back yet? I yeah. can judge by whether or not I can play rancid songs. That's awesome. Did you skateboard? <laughs> really really briefly you know i was always like tall lanky and uncoordinated so it was not uh it was not a good thing for but me but was skateboarding part of your scene down there like the culture very much yeah, so yeah yeah, yeah yeah and all my friends are skaters and like you know i had a, a lance mountain powell peralta board loved lance <laughs> went big always went big i always got away with like you can imagine i'm i'm kind of gangly now you know and not coordinated and i was about like 30 pounds heavier than this and just like eating uh you know boxes of morningstar chicken nuggets for dinner and just like a total piece <laughs> they're still of shit. so good though they're amazing <laughs> i used to literally cook a whole box and then just have a trio of like three different dipping sauces cook or microwave i oven wow oven. that's respectable yeah, that's refined. really respectable i was pretty refined <laughs> I cooked for myself for a long time as a kid, but I was vegetarian, so I, like, I have some really bizarre, like, recipes of, like, shitty boxed vegetarian food and (laughs) things you can do with them. I could write, like, a cookbook. (laughs) That's, like, my my, uh, treat lunch for my daughter, I pack her lunch, is Hawaiian rolls with chicken nuggets, with the fake, the Morningstar Farm chicken nuggets with veganaise in there. Really good. That's nice. Yeah. That's nice. (laughs) The, uh, yeah, we only treat ourselves to fake meat. <laughs> it's, just, it's such a shame. I do you, wait, do you, do you play drums every day? I try. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I don't have drums in my house the same as you. Like, um, and uh, 
Yeah, but almost more often than not, I'll always get behind the kit at least once. Well, I, I can't. This isn't at my house. I got yeah, to space. go to my studio space. Have you ever lived in a house where you can play drums? For three years, I lived in a house in New Brunswick that I was able to like play and have band practice in the basement. But I've only had drums in my house for three out of the 25 years I've been playing music. It's kind of fucked up. Yeah. We're, we're like, that's something I think about a lot because I, I maybe maybe the same, you know, maybe three years broken up. Yeah. I've, have I lived in places where I can comfortably sing loudly right. and not feel inhibited, yeah, yeah. you know? Um, otherwise having to have a studio space. But it's weird living someplace and not being able to practice your craft where you live, you yeah. know? I'm not in a band that like takes bands on tour right now. I'm not in a band that hires people. You know what I mean? So I'm out of that box of, like, if this was Gaslight, I could easily be able to, like, make a really concerted effort, like, professionally to do something, like, what people have been asking about, keeping tours That's fucking hard, though. That's, like, a conversation in and of itself. Like, especially when it comes to crew, like, finding yeah. diversity with crew. Oftentimes, it's, like, the hiring options are just, like... I wish there were more options. Exactly. Most of the time when you're hiring a crew, it's like, this is the one person we can find to do this. Right. So that's who we're hiring. Exactly. You know, like, yeah, yeah. and that sucks. It's but not like you're getting 50 resumes. Yeah. And then you're like, maybe this yeah. one, you know, yeah, like, yeah. what do you, what do you all think of this person? You know, like, well, I thought of that too. <laughs> I was like, is, I was like, if I wanted to hire an all, uh, female or, or trans crew at this point, like, I would be taking like like six of like the eight people who exist in that world right now. Like it's almost would be like nearly impossible, right? Yeah. I mean you And especially bands who have existed maybe for a million years and have their crews set. Mm -hmm. You know, people have been working for them and rely on them for money for years and years and years before they were even aware that they should have been diversifying and stuff like that. Like Right. I'm I'm feeling like if somebody as progressive as me is having these kinds of questions, what the fuck is it doing to people who are not even welcome to this at all? I think that's okay. You know, like to feel challenged and to feel uncomfortable sure. and like I'm I feel that way often. You know, like and and I there there's many moments just like as a white person, you know, where it's like right. you just need to shut up and listen, you yeah. know, like and yeah. and 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 understand that like, and that's something that being trans, like, has completely opened my eyes to, in specifically with coming out and transitioning, is, like, realizing, like, oh, f fuck, like, when I was male presenting, I had a shit ton of privilege that I just couldn't see because I was living the privilege. Sure. And then when you, like, step away from that privilege and it's no longer there for you, then you recognize it, right. you know? And just having that experience in my version of it has made me more empathetic and more able to realize like I just might not understand the privileges I have in some situations that other people are saying that I have that I need right. to recognize sure. and I just need to accept that You'd you know it, May, yeah. and, and, and that probably does make me uncomfortable in some ways and you know what like just feel uncomfortable right. <laughs> you know yeah. like you're gonna live you're just yeah, gonna yeah, feel yeah. a little uncomfortable yeah. but it is you know also like with what you started out saying like there, I don't think there's ever been a time where I've been like, that's Benny, he's cis, you know, like, or with any other person, you know, like, yeah, I don't yeah. think I've ever actively thought like cis, 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 or anything like that, even though like, I of course know the terminology and I understand yeah, the differences yeah. and everything like that. I just, my brain doesn't think in that ways with people. I just right. like think on a more individual level 
individual individual well, level. Well, you sort of you have know? to, right? I mean, because that's the thing that that uh, that sometimes comes off strange to me is the idea that like most of these positions of like full time musicians and crews and things like that are cis white people well, in I, rock. At least I think it's hard yeah, to define the diversity because because it's been that way for so long right. that like you know that there has like people have been left out and there ha- there hasn't there aren't the people to choose from there isn't the diversity to choose from because it's been closed doors for yeah, so long yeah, yeah. to the diversity so like just being in this moment now where it's like hopefully that's the idea where you're opening it up and as that continues and if you promote diversity and you do make the changes when you can make the changes then that'll only continue to expand and then you'll have greater options and you can do that yeah, yeah. but like I don't know for me when it comes to bands and stuff like I will always judge a band based on whether I like their songs and whether like I respect their ability as musicians you know like regardless of sex gender age anything like that like I can't lie to myself when I hear the music and when I see the way they're playing like I will just know like that drummer sucks it's almost seven cool we can go in before doors thanks Laura yeah that was awesome All right. Well, that was fun. So where where was that? That was in Nashville, Tennessee, yeah. at a place called the Basement East. As you can hear, the uh, the birds and the yeah, all sorts of fire department. Mm-hmm. Of we Nashville. actually also witnessed at the time of the interview. We saw a man in a pickup truck doing some really strange things, like getting in the pickup, driving really fast into his driveway, and then like getting out looking at something and then like reversing and <laughs> and i you know my head always goes like especially when i'm down in tennessee i'm like oh active shooter here we go this is some danny some... you're gonna get in trouble for that what <laughs> what maybe there's falling down kind of thing you just had the the, the day that that put it all the, put it all over That's man true. you know right. you never fucking know falling down there's a good ref good movie. where did that take place like chicago or that was something? la la right, that was right, LA. right of course it's la of course Memory runs into the uh, cholos and stuff. That's a, a big film. part of that film. Look up that film if you haven't seen yeah. it. Yeah, classic. But uh, it's nice to be back doing the going off track. Yeah, and for those <clears> of you that waited around, we're uh, fucking psyched to have you. Praise thee. We are. We're rebooting. We're rebooting. We don't have a definite date, but we will be rebooting likely in January. Yeah, I've already I've already conducted a, a number of excellent interviews. Yes, with excellent guests. Yes. That should be uh, shocking so, in their nature. <laughs> so stay subscribed if Isn't you're that, subscribed. Wait, that's what we're supposed to do, Brad. What? We got to trail it with like, you can't even imagine the shit <laughs> that these people said in the interviews we just did. It's hot. <laughs> this is the modern age, Brad. It's not the 90s. You do I like, need to add sound effects? Yeah. <laughs> did he just say that? <laughs> yeah. Got to do it, man. It's about it's about uh, it's all about sex these days, Brad. Every episode going forward, <laughs> going off track, is all sex. All sex, all the time. Half of them are Benny having sex on the mic. It's like a fucking Teddy Pendergrass song here. <laughs> Woo! Um, but stay subscribed, and if you're not subscribed, subscribe. We will be we will be back. We we've got these episodes. Um, you know, watch our social media, Benny. <laughs> Benny, yeah. watch Benny's social media because mine is a slow train to China. Man, we got to hire a 20-year-old. Um, going off track, 
Twitter, Instagram. What's your What's your socials? I'm uh, Benny Horowitz one on Twitter. I think just Benny Horowitz on Instagram. So some jag got me on Twitter. You know, I think I've talked about that before. Keep an eye on those. <laughs> Keep an eye on those for exact dates. But um, yeah, we're back. We're happy to be here. Um, and th- thanks, thanks immensely for anyone over the last couple years who I was touring, going to different towns who who said something nice about going off track and said that you listened to it definitely gave like the juice to like fully want to do this you to, know? T- to tell you the truth that's what brought this back yeah. Benny got sick of every time he got off the road he's like man I had like I mean I had a few people that you know came up to talk to me about the band but most people just wanted to know when the fucking podcast was relaunched yeah. I'm like <laughs> you know you know I just played drums right <laughs> what the fuck yeah. We'd rather hear you talk. That's yeah. pretty that's how many drummers get told that they people would rather hear him talk than mm, play drums. Dave Grohl, Phil Collins, and <laughs> I don't hear Phil sometimes Collins Ginger Baker and then me, I guess. It's pretty cool. <laughs> it's a good uh, crowd. Select company. It's a very select company. Yeah. Ginger Baker, I like that one. How about Tommy Lee. No, I don't no, want to hear him talk. I don't want to hear him talk. We've heard him talk enough. <laughs> <laughs> Dully. Um, but thanks to ACAST, we've been uh, recording some of these shows here. And thanks to Tim or Gary here at ACAST and Allie, who's really hooked us up. Yeah. Um, but yeah, keep an eye on the website, goingoutrack.com, all the socials, and um, look for us in 2020. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone.